1: Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the editor of the Daily Beast Half Full section. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host David Wongruch. Howdy. Today we're talking about arguably the king of cocktails, the the, the martini. I mean, it, anywhere you go around the world, it's the one drink that people know that bartenders have at least heard of, even if they can't make a good one. <laughs> they, know, they know. They know. They know they're supposed to. They know they're supposed to. You can at least get a glass with something in it that resembles a martini. You know, as as famous as it is, you know, there's also a lot of its history that we don't really know about.
0: I have to say, when we said, you know, it's one of those drinks that every bartender thinks they should know how to make, I'm starting to worry about the martini a little bit.
1: Do you think it's not?
0: Because I think it's fading. I don't see it nearly as much as I used to. I go to a lot of craft cocktail bars and people are drinking like... God's other thoughts, the foot of the demon and I don't see a lot of people drinking martinis. Old fashions. Sure. Going back from very small base
1: have have come back. And you're right, even the martini glass, I think, in some ways has been eclipsed by the coupe. Yeah. You know, like you don't even see yeah. the traditional martini glass. Well
0: and the the traditional martini glass is kind of a funny story, if I may. Yeah, please. Because uh when I was growing up in the uh you know, sixties, seventies, that V shaped Conical martini glass was an icon. It was the neon sign of cocktail bar. It was it was everywhere. But it turns out I've, I've been watching a lot of old movies from the 1930s and the 1920s from Prohibition and just, you know, the end of Prohibition. And everybody was drinking cocktails out of what we call like Coop coupe, coupe now or what we call a Nick and Nora glass, right. kind of a U-shaped glass on a right. stem. And the V-shaped glass was a champagne glass. Huh. In the movies, wow, yeah, and I've seen at least three or four old movies where they're they're drinking the champagne out of the out of the martini glass and the cocktails out of the Nick and Nora glass. Interesting. At Some point, somebody said, you know, cocktails look really good in that <laughs> champagne glass. Let's use that, and I think it's also easier to make that out of neon. Huh. interesting. Because it's just yeah, a simple yeah, bend. Sure, sure. You don't have to do a curve. You right. can do a. You you can do an angle.
1: Do you think there's any veracity to the old story, the old chestnut that I've always heard about the coupe that it was modeled on Marie Antoinette's breast, that that's why it – I mean, is there any – That
0: one is up in the air. Uh, Right. I doubt it highly, (laughs) but – i mean partly for practical I mean, it, reasons it makes, it makes no sense they're awfully it small ma- <laughs> it, it makes it, it makes no sense
1: it's kind of a cool story well it's also it's, it's, it's the
0: kind of story that people like to tell in bars you right know, i was like, gonna say it's, it's like oh maybe
1: maybe if you've had a few drinks it makes a little yeah, bit more sense but I, I, um,
0: but i i that one i i really don't know i have yeah. to say it's uh, it seems unlikely, but uh, we'll I don't leave even it know where that. that would even come from. But like, no. it's uh, no.
1: sort of like the the idea that Winston Churchill's mother was, uh, you know, the creator of the Manhattan. Yeah, man. Right, right. Great story. I love not that story. Not true. Not true at not all. Not true. Easily love to tell that provable. story, but yeah. with the caveat that it's not true. But let's get back to the martini Please, itself. We digress. Yeah. But, but back in the day when people were drinking the Nick and Nora, and obviously the Nick and Nora is named for. William Powell, the, the Thin Man. Movies, yeah, and Myrna right? Loy,
0: but, one of my heroes of all life.
1: And they that their characters were Nick and Nora, and they were always making you know stirring up cocktails, mm-hmm. the so-called Nick shaking. And... I think mostly. Oh, you think so? Oh yeah
0: they 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 were from the era when everything went into the cocktail shaker. Huh. There's the famous thing where uh, William Powell, and I've got a quote from memory here, is uh, saying that the uh, Bronx should be shaken to a two-step. <laughs> and martini to a fox trot, yeah. and uh, I'm sorry, the, the Manhattan to a fox trot, and the uh, martini
1: to a waltz, right?
0: You know, a little three quarters time kind of gentle.
1: So even, I mean, it's amazing. Even then, and those movies were out right yeah, around like right after yeah. repeal, like mid 1930s. So it's it's yeah. fascinating that even before James Bond and his, you know, his his signature martini yeah. order. Even then, people, there was no definitive way to prepare the martini, you know, shaken, stirred. or
0: Yeah, that, that, that's, that's true. I mean, well, there was the bartender way, which was stirred because bartenders were professionals. And the home mixologist way was shaken because you had a cocktail shaker. Right. Uh, it's much harder to stir a cocktail properly than it is to shake one, as you know.
1: And at that time, like, you know, there's obviously a big push during Prohibition to, to make cocktails at home to sell cocktail shakers, cocktail shakers were, you know, the latest technology, the craze. So, I mean, also
0: they, it's much, uh, they cost a lot more than a spoon and a glass. Right. Exactly. So you want to get
1: your money's worth.
0: Yeah. And, and, and also manufacturers want to push the shaker.
1: Well, I I kind of feel like it's like one of these, you know, whether it's the bread machine, the ice cream maker, or the, you know, the, the hot, you know, blender, uh, of, of today where, you know, people are throwing everything into it. You want to throw everything into that, you know, your, the newest gadget that you have, you're going to use.
0: Yeah, and you're going to use it for every drink. That's right. true. And I remember when the uh, when the whole cocktail revolution started, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there was a, a definite break between the people who were professional bartenders who stirred their Manhattans and martinis and the people who were insane home enthusiasts yeah. who shook everything because it was so cool to, like... You know, that music of the ice in the shaker.
1: And I think that you and I have probably written this story uh, at least a dozen times yeah, each about what cocktail should be shaken. Exactly. And, what, and, what, and obviously the, the old rule of thumb that, you know, I probably learned from Dale DeGroff and you may have, too, is obviously you want to shake cocktails that have fruit juice, all alcohol ones, you yeah. stir. I mean, yeah. and that's just.
0: Well, it, it, basically any drink that can be made clear, stir it. Right, You know, any any drink that's going to be cloudy anyway, shake it. Right. It's all about the texture and how it looks. You know, I mean, and the texture is really important. A sour is never going to have a silky smooth texture because it's a sour. It's right. got citrus juice in it. So you shake that. Anything with eggs or cream, you need to shake that to get it fully emulsified. But anything that's like gin and vermouth, you stir it to get it smooth, silky, so it just kind of lays on your tongue. So it doesn't prickle your tongue, and it's that—that—that's the—that's uh, the beauty of those—is that—is that that rich
1: oily texture. And speaking about vermouth, obviously with the Nick and Nora cocktail back in the day, probably in the twenties, thirties, people were probably fifty-fifty, you know, fifty percent gin, fifty percent vermouth. I mean, if you, if
0: you go back and look at like recipes from Prohibition, right? This martini making got out of the professionals and went into into home mixology hands. The recipes were between 50-50, which was an old bartender recipe. And that's very gentle, right? Right. To two to one, that was very popular. Two parts gin, one part vermouth. A little less gentle, but uh, still, you know, a fairly civilized drink. All the way to like five to one and seven to one. And that's where you're getting into the really dry martini.
1: The less vermouth, the drier The less vermouth, yeah.
0: Like when I started writing about cocktails, my favorite was seven to one. And then it got back to five to one.
1: <laughs> How would you even measure out the vermouth that it was like seven to one? Like that hurts my head to uh, try to do that now. I do
0: a half an ounce of vermouth and right. three and a half ounces all right, of gin. All right. That's not so that hard. It's not that hard.
1: Well, I, I remember, you know, I guess it was the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, somebody yeah. like Salvatore Calbrazi, the sort of dean of bartending in the – in the UK, you know, at the Duke's Hotel, which was Ian Fleming's favorite spot, the author of you know, all the James Bond books. Um, you know, he would, you know, he had an atomizer for the Vermouth, like, you know, one that you'd find on your grandmother's nightstand yeah. and he'd <laughs> spray the inside or, you know, some of those things. He'd wave the Vermouth bottle around the glass. I, I've, I've had those
0: martinis. I love having them because of the atmosphere sure. and the people doing it. But that's I, I, not a great martini, I gotta say. If you make it yourself, you're not gonna be yeah. happy. Well, and and you, you got to be there.
1: Yeah. Well, it's you one also, of those, you, you know. You also think about like you know when people were having a three martini lunch. Yeah. I mean, they were. I mean, a the coupes were smaller, right? Or the martini right. glasses, they were probably
0: three. It was, was a four ounce glass with maybe two and a half ounces, three ounces right. of liquid in it.
1: Still, still a lot of alcohol to ingest during oh, the yeah. lunch, but. Oh, yeah. You know, but if you if it's at least fifty percent vermouth, you're bringing the alcohol content way, way down. down. Yeah, I mean, and that that at least because now, it, you know, for a while, I, I remember going to a steakhouse and you'd get like a martini glass that you could take a bird bath. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. It was probably a yeah. half a bottle of gin in there. Yeah, there'd know? be eight ounces of. It was an eight ounce drink, and it was all gin. And God help you if you finished it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't. You know, I mean, there
0: were at least six ounces of gin in those things.
1: It's unbelievable when you yeah. think about that. Yeah. But, I mean, that and, – and then – so, I mean, yeah, I mean, with the prospect of drinking six ounces of gin, there's no way that you could drink three yeah, because those kind of Yeah, those
0: glasses were doubles or triples even. <laughs> they were doubles of already large glasses. Right. Yeah. Which
1: defeats the whole point. I mean, yeah. it's it's not cold anymore. It's, you no, know, by the time you and, get and to you're, the – you're
0: drunk and right.
1: you can't taste your steak. Right. On the other hand,
0: <laughs> I have fond memories of some right. of those evenings. I
1: mean, there are worse ways to spend an evening. But, <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, still. Not yeah, ideal. Yeah. It would probably be better – Nice well, cold. You know,
0: uh, when I first started drinking martinis, I was about 18 or 19, and I had moved from the Long Island suburbs to New York City, and this is around 1980. I was very poor. I could not afford to drink in uh, the hip bars where college students drank. I had to drink in old man bars, and those old man bars were a little bit tough you know and and I couldn't go in there and ask for a a a madras or a cape codder or, or a woo woo or an alabama slammer or a snake bite or any of the other college drinks of the time because the old guys behind the bar would roll their eyes and move on to the next person and you know when I finally got an order they understood they might make it for me but <laughs> uh that was basically gin and tonic or and and, and I learned also that there's no drink that had more alcohol in it than a martini.
1: Right. And I was
0: poor. You right. know. It was like, oh, simple cost-benefit analysis. More bang
1: you know. for your buck right yeah, there. Yeah,
0: exactly. And and I learned to drink them. I'd ask for them very dry. And uh, they always came very dry. Yeah. And I finally asked one guy, like, what goes into your dry martini? And he goes, oh, when you when you ask for it very dry. I don't put any vermouth in it at all. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Thanks, Seamus. Right. <laughs> so it was all. It was you know. It was a, a big glass of, of Bombay or Tanqueray yeah, or sure. something. Speaking about
1: uh, college, Seagram's. college Barton. I remember yeah. in my room, I had. Uh, I thought I was very sophisticated. I had bought a shaker at like a yard sale. You know, mm-hmm. it was a nice old uh, shaker, oh, which I still nice. have it. Yeah. And I was making, uh, you know, I had, you know, actually modestly sized martini glasses and. A bottle of Seagram's gin, you know, which is uh, excellent, still yep. a bestseller. Hey, you know. that makes a fine martini. Fine martini, a right right price for my budget. Yep. But here's my own twist, which I didn't I didn't really understand. Um, alcohol, which is actually goes into gin. Well, or or not not that that this this anecdote will prove, but I bought sweet vermouth and not dry vermouth okay. because. I mean, what you know? What did I know about vermouth then? Right, you know, right. so so it was more like almost like a Martinez. That's a,
0: that's not a bad drink. No, though. it was
1: a bad drink, but it was it was you know when it came out, like I knew it was the wrong color. You know, yeah. it's one of those things where yeah, people are it's like, mm, like, we, we, what have I done? Right, here? we we may not have known a lot about drinking, right, but right. when the martini came out, you know, blush red, yeah, we we I realized that something had gone wrong, but I didn't yeah. know exactly. Like, you didn't well, know where to start. Right, exactly. You're before the internet. You right. Know? I mean, uh, yeah, you, know, you couldn't I, look anything up. I think I had my grandfather's old bartending yeah. guide or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. But it, it was one of those things where, oh, there is a difference between sweet and dry vermouth. Like, who knew? Yeah, you who know, knew. that
0: was always a big deal. I finally uh, started breaking down. I used to use the cheapest vermouth I could get. I had a home bar, uh, I had a, an apartment in uh, Hoboken for a while there around like 1981, 82. And uh, my roommate and I, uh, we were both punk rock types, and, you know, we were, I was playing in bands and everything. But we found somebody put out a fake mantelpiece on the street that had a hinged compartment that opened up to be a bar. Wow. And so we just took it and put it in there, our, our apartment it was amazing, yeah. We kept a stocked bar. We were very proud of that. Right. And uh, so we had... Vodka. We had Glenfiddich single malt. Maybe Bombay gin, not Bombay Sapphire. It was right, before just the Sapphire. Bombay. Right, regular Bombay. We had some rum, like probably Bacardi. You know, we we had yeah. like a full range. You know, there was some some Jack Daniels there. We yeah. prided ourselves on this, and uh, and we used to get just the cheapest vermouth, and we'd try to make these martinis, and they just didn't come out right. And finally, I read like in my like Ian Fleming books or something it was like Noi Pratt. Right. Ah get the real vermouth right you know and we got the real driver oh, right and uh we we did the in and out where you'd rinse the ice cubes with the vermouth and pour it out and then pour in the gin. And we're Your pretty sophisticated. I say, it probably better we didn't than, have a jigger in the house. Really we didn't better, have a bar spoon, but still, bar spoon, but we had a shaker and, uh, you know. It was, and, so it was probably one of the
1: best bars in the tri-state area. It probably was. <laughs> I
0: know. This is a Jersey City what? in the Heights in Jersey City. Same terrible. thing. I mean, like I yeah. remember,
1: you know, gin and tonics too. I never really thought I liked them because the tonic was always so was terrible, bad. Yeah. So. You know, it kind of ruined that drink for me even to this day. I don't – you know, it's one thing that I don't – I never order because I I can't do it. But, I mean, with the Martinez, I mean, mean, it's one of these things. There are a lot of false rabbit holes with the martini that people have gone down with its history. I think anybody – The history is
0: really tough on that drink, I have to say.
1: And I think if anybody who tells you with certainty that they know know the history of the martini, they don't know. I mean – They don't
0: know. I mean, it's one of those drinks that pops up in New York City – In the early 1880s and in Chicago, as far as I could tell, it was a variation on the Manhattan with gin, which was with English gin, which was Mm. just becoming popular in America. Before that, we drank Dutch style, Geneva style gin, either imported or or we made our own. And uh, this English style gin was starting to come in and people were starting to play around with it. And somebody took a Manhattan and tried putting the gin in and... The thing is, with sweet vermouth, a rich gin, or it's not that easy to tell apart if right. you, from from a whiskey drink if you don't know
1: or Rob Roy or something. Yeah, like that. I mean, all
0: those drinks yeah. kind of taste alike. Yeah. And people were saying uh, there there's there's a newspaper article uh, from I think 1883 from Chicago, and the guy's saying I make Manhattan cocktails, and he says I make them with Old Tom gin and vermouth, huh. and it's like, wait a minute, that's not a Manhattan. Right. And, you know, other people are saying, you know, a martini cocktail and or a Martinez or a Martine right. or a Martini, I-G-N-Y. Right. Nobody really knew what it was, what the name was, right. because there was no Internet to spell it. It was just what you heard over the bar. <laughs> right. You know, and right. it was like, oh, I'll have one of those things. And they were making it with sweet vermouth or with dry vermouth. And both seemed to, to have been around. Sweet vermouth was more common for sure. Huh.
1: Like a game of telephone, where yeah, uh,
0: exactly. That's all. That's the whole bar world was like that.
1: And and to be fair, that I mean, you know, for a long time, sweet orgerot, vermouth weren't really available in America. I mean, that was something that was cutting edge. Yeah, it was the kind of
0: thing if you went to New Orleans or San Francisco or New York, you might find it in an ethnic grocery store. But it was not used in mixology until the 1880s.
1: And I remember... 18, well,
0: it starts a little earlier, but not much.
1: I remember a story that you wrote for the Daily Beast a couple of months ago about some of even the Italian cocktails where they have to come to America where they're tweaked. Yeah. Like the Americano, and then it goes back to Italy where we almost have to teach the Europeans how to use... We, we
0: taught them the best way to
1: use the vermouth. <laughs> in cocktails. Well, yeah,
0: you know, the Italians being practical people, they said, oh... Oh. Wait, you put the bitter into the vermouth. That's actually pretty good.
1: Okay, that works. Because we works. used to
0: put bitters into our vermouth, <laughs> and they were, oh yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> they they thought that worked out pretty well.
1: When do you think, like with the martini? I mean, we could run through all of the you know the ideas about its history that none of them oh, have yeah. been proven. But obviously, one is that the Martinez led to the martini, which doesn't. I don't seem... think that's true, actually. And the whole there's a whole you know amazing embroidered yeah. myth of the town and the gold rush and. None yeah there's actually. this whole
0: idea that there was a, this this uh Martinez cocktail from Martin, Martinez or Martinez in California and that was the original martini but the the that actually shows up in print later than right. the martine the, the the martine or the you right. know or other names for the drink and uh, uh also known as the turf club which was a New sure. York City club, yeah. Martinez or Martinez. The whole story that gets told around it, it gets told much later. Right. And uh, none of it checks out. It's I, I, one of those things. It just doesn't check out.
1: I think we can put that one aside. Um, yeah. I mean, I wish because right. it's There's a great a-
0: story. That you know, a gold miner walks <laughs> into a bar in Martinez, California, uh, northeast down of San a gold Francisco. Nugget or whatever yeah, and, and he puts a gold nugget on the bar and asks for a bottle of whiskey. And the gold nugget's worth more than the bottle of whiskey, right. so the guy mixes him uh, a special cocktail of gin and vermouth. Bullshit. Right. It's I mean, not, that that's there's no not. there's no possible truth in that. Unfortunately,
1: great great premise for a movie, novel, yeah, but, poem. Yeah, so that. that's
0: but Hollywood that. how things yeah. happen. You know, first the gold rush was already over by twenty right. years. Right. You know, <laughs> so it's like
1: there was no gold. Right. Well, that one we'll put aside. But then, yeah. the you know the idea that it, the cocktail's named for a gun, the Martini rifle, which doesn't not seem really. Water. I mean, the
0: the most likely is Martini Vermouth. Right. Martini and Sola, the precursor of Martini and Rossi, was the, the leading Vermouth importer in America, or mm. you know, exporter from Italy to to America. That's More likely, but we don't know. There was also a uh, this guy, Frank Martin, a New York City businessman. There was a Judge Martin who was a sporty New York City type Martinez restaurant on 14th Street in New York. That was very, they're very fashionable and it could have been named after them. We just don't know. Every source that people could look into has been looked into. Right. And so far, nothing. So, well,
1: hopefully, something will turn up. So, I mean, yeah, if anybody's going to find something, it'll be you a book or an article or something. Uh, there's a bunch of people working this. Uh, yeah, no doubt. But uh,
0: it's one of those things. We hate to say we don't know, but we, we don't know. know.
1: If it really started out as the Manhattan, when do you think that the bitters left the drink?
0: It was really with the Gibson. Uh which was a San Francisco drink. Nowadays, martini has an olive, Gibson has an onion. That's the difference between them. Back in the day, it wasn't like that. The difference was the martini had, and we're talking like the dry martini comes in in the 1890s when it's dry French vermouth, uh, London dry gin or Plymouth gin, you know, one of these dry unsweetened gins. And that was all new. Those are both new things, and uh, there was a whole craze for dry drinks, and, right? Uh,
1: and sort of the height of the too. I mean, so. Yeah. Know, so, the... so gin
0: more popular than brandy right. and True. they've got this very dry drink in, in New York, certainly, and much of America was a three ingredient drink. You had gin, vermouth and a dash of orange bitters, which mm-hmm. was also new in the American market. And that was all cocktails had to have bitters in them. That was the idea behind a right. cocktail. So instead of using the, the richer, more full Angostura or, or Boker's bitters, or Abbott's bitters, or all of those things, the Peychaud's bitters. They used the much lighter orange bitters. So they got this very light, dry drink. Now, in San Francisco, this guy Walter D.K. Gibson says, I'll have mine, but leave those bitters out, please. Huh. I don't need those. And it was Plymouth Gin and Pratt Vermouth, about 60-40. And that's how he had them. And, and this became a Gibson cocktail on the West Coast. It was the same as a martini, but without the bitters and with, right. you know, sp- brands called for. Comes World War I, Plymouth gin no longer imported. Noy Pratt no longer imported. Submarine warfare is screwing everything up. After the war, you know, you've got prohibition. Also, people's tastes have gone more towards the Gibson anyway. They don't want the orange bitters anymore. They just want the gin and vermouth. And suddenly there's no distinction between a martini and a Gibson. So somebody comes up with the bright idea of let's put the onion in the Gibson huh. and, you know, the martini right. will still have the olive or the twist and the Gibson will have the onion because there, there were other onion cocktails that before that. Yeah, they put it in just as a way of distinguishing, I think right. it's like, all right, we're we're go- We'll make the garnish different right, because right. the drink is no longer different.
1: And at a certain point, you also have the Vesper, too, which is sort of that cuts the difference almost in half where it's. 50-50 vodka gin, gin and vodka yeah and uh, dry vermouth yeah
0: that's that's a i guess an english drink I you mean, know, Lille, yeah. from james bond but uh His apparently re- from a london bartender i don't know the truth of that right. but
1: and that's the original drink that james bond orders yeah. in the book like yeah. the first book he orders a vesper. on right? the
0: other hand james bond he was like the old saying about, an English, about English people from the 1600s, that an Englishman is a horse who drinks from every water. <laughs> and James Bond, right. he's like drinking Americanos when, when, when right. that's the drink to have. He's drinking bourbon when that's he's the drink. He's basically the
1: Hemingway of the spy world. Yeah, yeah. He, he
0: drank whatever was, you know, he was a spy. Right. What, do you, what do you do? You blend it in. in. What, what are these people drinking right. here? I'll have one of those. Exactly. If you order a drink like the Vesper, everybody knows James Bond's in town. Right. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a problem right. if you're a spy. Because nobody
1: else is ordering.
0: Yeah. So Rule number he's, he's one. usually just ordering, you know, whatever.
1: Rule number one of spy making, don't yeah. order the Vesper. Yeah. Don't have know. a signature drink. Don't have a signature drink. That's a good one. it is interesting that, you know, even while the rest of, you know, our last episode about sort of the dark ages of the cocktail, yeah. in the darkest of dark happy hours – you could still get a martini.
0: Yeah, there I think there were probably 25 years there when that was the last original cocktail standing. Between like the 1960s and the late 1990s, it was the martini and everything else was sweet liqueurs with cream and juice right. or Harvey Wallbangers, you know, and all this stuff. And you know, those those drinks are okay, but for for people of a certain uh disposition they want like a real old-fashioned just like in the old movies cocktail like something crisp and dry and straight up and elegant in in a stemmed glass where you can sit there and you know feel a little sexy about what you're drinking and that was it. The martini was the last guy standing.
1: I mean, it literally becomes synonymous with the word cocktail. I yeah. mean, it almost.
0: Yeah. And so to the point where they
1: start calling other drinks martinis. Right. I mean, it almost to lend, you know, credence, but also just to tip people off kind of like what this is like, yeah. oh, this is like a, this is like a hard alcohol mixed drink. Yeah. Like, oh, it's... this
0: is straight up. You know, right. it's not a long
1: drink on the rocks drowned <laughs> in juice. Right. And I, I mean, I think in some ways people always see it as kind of a bastardization of a martini. But I see it more almost like, you know, uh, people lending, you know, kind of some kind of calling card, you know, kind yeah. of giving it some kind of credence as to what it was, you know. Yeah, right? or at
0: least it was their intention. Right. Although the intention, like you get the chocolate martini, which uh, yeah. is pretty far from a martini, but that was uh, invented by Liz Taylor, and I can't remember who else, on a movie set, they had like ingredients. Right. And they had vodka, a- and there was like some Bosco syrup right. or something, and, and maybe,
1: a- you know, there's like, what can we make? Well, I remember there was a bar in Hell's Kitchen, New York, I mean, which obviously had been a very tough neighborhood. But- yeah, yeah. Fast forward, you know, decades later, and you have, you know, in the early 2000s, there was a bar and it had a full menu of all the different types of martinis. Right. Obviously, it obviously wasn't rare. These creations had Sambuca, they had chocolate, they had peppermint schnapps, they had all types of things. And
0: Well, people wanted to do mixology.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's sort of the baby steps. As much as I was made fun of for being called martinis, yeah. I think... The idea was is that in a lot of places the martini it just becomes another word for cocktail. Like exactly, just, you know, because it was
0: it, it was served straight up in a in, in a glass. Exactly. Instead of being like one of these very dilute rocks things, I remember the Cajun martini when that launched at K Paul's. It was right. his wife Kay uh, who uh, came up with this idea. They wanted to keep their liquor license, <laughs> and uh, they didn't want to serve a full bar right. because they were about the food. They just bought this little cafe. Around 1979, and they because, said, "Well, yeah, we guess... should. What if we serve martinis?" And what they did was they took like bottles of gin and vodka, and took a cap full of gin and vodka out of each, and filled it with vermouth, and then sliced a jalapeno. Like uh, they, they kept the top of the thing, and then cut some slits in it, and put it in there for about eight hours, and took it out, and then they'd serve it in a in a mason jar. This is like the beginning of maybe not even the beginning this was 1970s yeah. so mason jar cocktail yeah. they served it uh with like complicated garnish right of like pickled jar. tomatoes and yeah. stuff like that cajun pickled vegetables yeah. and so that way if you insisted on a cocktail you had one but it was so intense that you didn't want like three or four you know cuz they didn't really want to serve cocktails <laughs> they were they, yeah, they, they were like but they wanted to keep their if liquor insist, license just in case if you insist yeah if you, you insist, have insist we have this They were shocked and it totally caught on to the point. And this was like around 81. And I remember these things coming to New York and drinking those. And that was like a hard alcohol drink.
1: And then you have things like Absolute Pepar comes on the scene and, you know. Yeah, even
0: before that Stolichnaya, they had Perzovka
1: from Russia. That was. It had to come because PepsiCo famously, they wanted to do business in Russia, right? Yeah. And they couldn't because of the whole... The ruble
0: wasn't exchangeable.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it seems crazy now in this day and age that yeah, um, that, that we could have such problems with Russia yeah, yeah, and America yeah. where we wouldn't want to take their money. Um, yeah, uh, but, yeah, but, uh, at, but at the time, PepsiCo couldn't accept money from Russia. Well, it was not exchangeable. It, it was worthless. We couldn't do it. So the only way that they could get Pepsi in there was that if they took... Stolichnaya, which yeah. the government owned at the time, the barter system. So they took; they didn't really want it, but they took it because they wanted to expand the footprint of Pepsi. So yeah. suddenly, they find themselves in the business of importing vodka to America, which becomes really the first. It was the first luxury vodka in and America. first imported vodka, for the most part. I mean, uh, I you know, mean, I the think there was some era. Wolf
0: Schmidt in the '30s from right. from Riga, Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, and then that got wiped out by first the Nazis and then the Russians. Yeah. So that was the end of that. Yeah, Stolichnaya was huge, and then the russians uh shot down a korean airliner that gave absolute its chance because uh <laughs> then everybody boycotted stoli and uh that was the end of that before that i remember there were only a couple uh imported vodkas it yeah. was finlandia yeah there's maybe one on. or two others uh yeah. and they were all small and, Stolich and I was very big yeah. in the 70s it was very big i mean it had cachet it was like Smirnof, from russia but
1: obviously made in the us yeah you know, or... and
0: and the Stoli stuff Came straight from the Soviet Union. So everybody drank that. Right. You know, that was like, oh, real vodka. <laughs> <laughs> On the palate, it was pretty much indistinguishable from Smirnoff, but uh,
1: it had that sexiness of being forbidden. The martini has weathered so many storms, you know, the That's prohibition, World War One, World War Two. you know, the switch from gin to vodka, the martini craze where there was no vermouth or gin or vodka used. Yeah. It- but, you know, it's then some the switch back to gin. Right. Exactly. It, it's gone back and forth, you know, big glasses, small glasses. Yeah, yeah. And somehow it's weathered all of these storms to still be, you know, arguably the most famous cocktail of all. But to get back to your original point where this. Where I think it's starting started... to slip. I was going to say that the thing yeah. that might kill the martini is craft. Yeah, bars. it's
0: success. You know the martini for years was it was the arc for cocktails. you know it was the last man right. standing. it was the last true classic cocktail that every bartender could be expected to know how to make absolutely is like and people would be judged on it yeah. like and they knew even in dive bars when I was a musician in the early eighties uh before going on stage, I would have three martinis. I was young and I could drink. <laughs> if I had three martinis now, I'd be right, asleep. Right. But then, you know, I was like,
1: they kind of... Your pre-show. Uh, yeah, it was my pre-show. It, it, was it, in it, your it rolled rider. off the nerves. Your, your rider would have a, yeah. three martinis. and they were small right. martinis. You right. know,
0: they were bar martinis, uh, mostly dive bar martinis. And even in dive bars or, or rock and roll clubs, they knew how to make those. Right. That was it. That was the drink that that kind of survived. But once we get into the modern world uh when suddenly there like you can go into a bar and know that they can make an old fashioned a daiquiri, a sidecar, uh, a, a margarita. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going with the classics a yeah, Tom sure. Collins, you know, maybe a Clover Club, and you're not, this and that.
1: You're not taking your life in your own hands when yeah. you know, the bartender has to suddenly search in a book or blow exactly. dust off of ingredients exactly. or, you know. Yeah,
0: you walk up to the bar and, and say, you know, I was kind of thinking I would like a bijou. And they say, coming right up. Right, great. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. that's. That's a drink from the 1890s that yeah. was completely dead for a
1: hundred years, you know, and uh, and the sort of stripped-down modernity of the Martini almost.
0: It doesn't work anymore, or it's not yeah. not that it doesn't work. The drink is delicious, it doesn't have the same iconic
1: stature anymore. Yeah,
0: you know, it's not it's not the only cocktail.
1: I mean, in some ways, and at least in the last few years, I'd say that the craft cocktail bars have gone more almost. In the route of tiki drinks, right? Yeah. You have, you know, eight, ten drinks, all these types of syrups and garnishes. Yeah. Where that, like, you know, it's almost like we've switched tracks. You know, they were running parallel where we had the martini drinks Mm. and the sort of simpler two, three ingredients, and somehow we jumped tracks to this crazier. You know, taking us, you know, to some exotic land where you know the. i think that's a that's a good that's
0: a good metaphor because the martini track is is starting to seem like a sideline you know where where the drinks are just really simple even the negroni you would think that that's the simplest drink imaginable but everybody's doing their own spins on the negroni and it's like negroni yeah this uh, and that white white negroni and it's like that drink is just not enough people Uh, young drinkers want more, you know, they're, they're conditioned to want everything to, to be turned up to 11.
1: I mean, it's almost like the, the first sign of success. It's, you know, it's almost like you look at the, like a neighborhood like Williamsburg in Brooklyn, which used to actually was a real defined neighborhood. And now like a third of Brooklyn is called Williamsburg. And I feel like as the Negroni gets more popular, it's now, you know, it's an umbrella for, you know, dozens of different types of drinks that bear a slight, Slightly resemb-
0: I mean, back back in uh, 2002, my f- my first book Esquire Drinks came out, and it was uh, based on my column that I've been writing for two years for for Esquire.com uh, years and years ago, obviously. And uh, we did Esquire's first real martini inv- invitational. We'll get bartenders from around the city. The rules are: our martini is gin and vermouth. Period. And we had a gin sponsor and a vermouth sponsor, both right. very classic we started to invite bartenders and it was really hard to find people to invite yeah. we got the, the the late and much missed sasha petrosky shin from angel share who was a wonderful bartender you know japanese bartender trained in the japanese style we got a guy from joe allen we figured okay theater right, okay, district right. you you know how to make uh, martinis to, to... we tried to get the guys from peter luger to send somebody because peter luger if you wanted a a good martini in brooklyn you had to go to peter luger <laughs> that was it that was the only place in the, in the whole borough right. that would make you a real marti- you know really good martini and uh, so uh, and they refused they were not interested they thought we wanted their publicity so but we had a few other people we had uh, albert trummer from town restaurant oh sure Jeffrey
1: Zakariensley restaurant. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And 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 uh it ended up with the 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 jury was uh, Lowell Edmonds who wrote the great history of the martini, uh Gary Regan and Del deGroff. And it was blind. They didn't know who was making uh right, each thanks. drink. It turned out the winner was Albert Trummer, wow. who did an In and Out. Huh. Sasha Petrosky, nobody understood his because he did a fifty-fifty. <laughs> and everybody was like, that's tasty but that's not a martini right. what is that Who that's knew? really weird right. you know and he brought his own ice right of course you know and this was this was 2002 that's right. like really early that's for this pretty stuff. far
1: on yeah yeah
0: and very funny you know that was like the beginnings of the of the cocktail thing and you had kind of the split between the hipsters yeah. and the old school and very very interesting the joe allen guy did very well
1: i'm no doubt if I were a betting man i I'd still put my money on the martini surviving it's not going to go away entirely no. but I, I, but I feel like you know this isn't the last chapter like it's it it has reinvented itself almost you know in every different generation and almost decade and and found the following with yeah, you know drinkers and you're right i don't i wouldn't I wouldn't count it out yet. But it may be some tough years for martini drinkers. Well,
0: it's, it's funny. Uh, over the last uh, year or so, after a few years of hardly ever drinking martinis, I've started drinking martinis again.
1: You <laughs> made me thirsty for one. So, yes. Uh, that concludes another episode of Life Behind Bars. I think Dave and I are going to go get martinis. Extra Bosco for you. <laughs> yeah, and exactly.
0: That... And just a little less cream. <laughs> Sounds good. Cheers. Cheers.